0: This is episode 57 of the Airport Experience News Podcast. I'm Ramon Lowe, the publisher of AXN and the host of this pod. Thank you for finding this episode. And if you have not done so already, please subscribe. And if you do enjoy this episode or the many others that we have recorded, please also leave a positive comment or review. Well, here I chat with Nikki Harland, the Senior Vice President of Human Resources for Parody's Dare. Now, I say this a lot and it's probably because it's true, but this was a really great episode to record. Uh, Nikki and I chat about many things, including the evolution of the HR position, which honestly has grown tremendously in maybe the last decade or so. I mean, look to your own organizations, or maybe even look to your own careers and the organizations that you have worked for, uh, for evidence of this being so. Anyway, Nikki and I talk about so many things, such as employee engagement, attracting quality of labor, the value of a diverse workforce, the role of HR in culture, this one is key, and uh, so much more. Here is my conversation with Nikki Harlan. So I am here with Nikki Harlan, the Senior Vice President of Human Resources for Atlanta-based retailer and restaurateur, Paradis Lagadere. Nikki, thanks for taking time to speak with me.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for the invitation. I'm very excited.
0: I don't know how often you hear this personally, but I really would like to talk about some human resources topics. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So let's start here. Uh, You've been with Parodies for roughly six years now, correct?
1: Yes, yes.
0: Okay. And um, I like to think that regardless of the environment, uh, the issues and solutions that affect one environment are usually applicable to another. But as always, I like to think that airports are much more unique and have their own challenges. So uh, before we get into any of that, I'd like first to ask you to kind of briefly give us your bio and really what brought you to our special environment called airports.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So first, I always have to put out there, I'm an Atlanta native. Um, There are not many of us that are actually from Atlanta, but I I am a a native Atlantan. So is my husband. Um, I studied here. So I went to Spelman College here in Atlanta and I've had a really great career fortune in that. I've worked with some really exciting companies at different kind of phases of their life or maturity as organizations. And um, it's afforded me an opportunity to learn a lot. So I've been, um, from everything I would say, from entertainment, broadcast television, uh, professional sports, uh, early in my career, and retail away from the airport. And just before joining here about five and a half years ago, I was the HR leader for Old Navy stores uh, field human resources function across North America, and that was in San Francisco. So um, very excited um, in my role every day um, that I sit in today because um, it's no day is ever, ever the same. That's one of the things actually to, um, I would tell you, that really hooked me into this industry. Um, I did not have a full understanding at all As I talk to people today, many people do not at all about what was, you know, really happening in the industry. But I was actually introduced to uh, Greg Paradis, our CEO, through a mentor. They were looking for, at the time, a vice president of human resources. They needed the person to be based in Atlanta. Hey, you know, Nikki, why don't you just take a call and learn a little bit more? And really, um, when I began to understand the growth, And really what was happening in airports, the way airports were affecting communities, and just simply the travel retail industry, to to be very direct, I was hooked. And uh, I can't imagine being in another industry at all.
0: We're definitely going to touch upon uh, your thoughts <laughs> on the airport space because, again, I- I'm very biased here. I think it's unlike a- any environment out there, and especially now that you're saying that you you know you came from Old Navy and from the traditional, let's say, retail side. Now, but I do want to ask you one question with regards to um, your the, the position of HR in general. You know, I remember about two day- decades ago, my fr- the first company I worked with. You know, what my HR person at that, that Company was tasked with, you know, I guess it's kind of like a preconceived notion that is similar to like the IT folks, right? The IT folks were always (laughs) the ones who handled the phones. I have a problem with my email. I got a problem with my computer. And HR, at least from my view back then, in a very elementary way, was strictly okay. Tell me about my benefits, and there are problems between employees. So this is a really broad question. So (laughs) how has how has the job, the position, and the task of human resources changed over the last? i don't know if you want to say decades or, or so or maybe a couple decades
1: oh i would say a couple so i have the fortune i think i i started in hr um in 1995 and very early in my career and you're right it was um kind of a dated function back then folks really didn't know what to do it was very transactional um i can remember actually explaining to my parents what i was doing for career choice and my dad continued to say like the personnel department like the personnel department where people go and complain and they, <laughs> and um, you know, I was fortunate at the time to have an amazing mentor who was um, my supervisor at the time that talked about this future of HR. So there were, she was the person that was into all of the white papers and mm-hmm. it's all the conferences. And so, you know, she said it will evolve, it will grow. And you know, different businesses will see it different Nikki, but this is a great place to kind of, you know, plant your career. And what I've seen absolutely is true. Um, Every HR function is not the same. Every company is not the same. Every organization or entity is not the same at all. Um, But there are some things that even looking back on the last 10 to 15 years um, have emerged. And I would say the focus on being a business partner. So there are stories of HR folks in the past that didn't understand how the business worked. So They were just simply there, again, to listen to the complaints, uh, probably crank out some offer letters and get your health care. That was probably it. Um, But, you know, high-performing HR teams are connected to the business today. Mm -hmm. I've seen, again, that evolution. Now, I've had um, really, again, great fortune to work in organizations that have really had a high level of respect for HR, and it certainly is the case here with Parody's Lagadere, but, you know, the evolution has brought us to a place of, being true business leaders and business partners and you know shaping the organization in many cases um, think about the investment around humans so if you peel the words apart human resources think of the investment in talent driving talent and getting high performance so even if you're a product-based organization you still need humans and high levels of talent to get these things done So. Organizations over time figured that part out and where they began to increase the budgets and expenses and things that they were tying to people, um, there though also went the HR function and they increased the weight and kind of the impact of the HR team. So I'm certainly very proud to be an HR professional. It's what I've done for all of my career, um, but it definitely is not the same that it was in 1995.
0: <laughs> So it's it's safe to say, if we were to, I guess, uh, condense that down, it would be your position or the HR position is really one of the people, not necessarily procedures, even though you are involved in the procedural aspects of uh, the employees, et cetera, but it's really a, of the people, correct? Yes,
1: that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And in many organizations, you think of the financial pieces where you have your CFOs Mm -hmm. and they're about those, you know, tangible, you know, dollars. That's a key part of an organization. Um, But people, all things people. And there are some basic and core things that, you know, will always exist. But the HR role is a much more strategic role, especially for organizations that are transforming and growing. Um, It's key.
0: So I'm going to jump over to a set of questions. I was going to get to it in a bit, but I think it really ties into uh, your answers here. I, I really want to talk about, you mentioned it, culture. It seems like one of the more recent responsibilities, as you mentioned, uh, of HR is being, I guess, somewhat of an implementer of the company culture. And, of course, culture is important, you know, uh, and and we talk about the importance of culture, especially having it felt and translated or I'm having it felt from as high as Greg Parody's the CEO, to your frontline folks. So just talk about how, uh, a little more about your role in, in perhaps creating the culture, establishing it, and then obviously carrying it through.
1: Absolutely. So it's one of my favorite things to talk about, so I'll try to not take all the time here. Um, but culture is important, and I know in a lot of uh, places it turns into a buzzword. Um, but it is is it it is key to an organization's success. It's why people join. It's why people leave. Um, I would tell you, looking specifically at my role and my seat within the company, um, I don't own culture. And this is a conversation that we've had internally um, that everyone, so all close to 10,000 uh, associates that work within our organization, everyone owns a piece of the culture. And I own or my function together with the business we own protecting portions of that culture so if you think of a North Star we we have you know kind of that as, as guidance as to who we are and why we make the decisions that we make and what we do every day and so yes I have a level of consciousness for the organization to make sure that we are doing things that are aligned culturally and you know we don't take missteps but I would say, certainly so does, you know, Greg Paradis, So certainly does Reginald Washington of our dining division, Jeff Flowers in our stores, our chief merchant. We all own that. One of the key pieces around culture for HR folks really centers around accountability.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so, you know, it's not, you know, where we're walking up and down the halls or, you know, up and down, um, you know, kind of the terminals and talking about culture every two minutes, but, HR folks have to be honest and direct and call out immediately when we're out of sync. And so we have to make sure there are processes and systems in place to make sure that portions of the culture can continue. So one example for our organization um, is the way that we manage and measure engagement and the way that we manage and measure performance. So everyone in our organization has performance objectives and goals, not unlike any airport or any other entity. What's interesting, our mix from a performance perspective, says you have goals against what you do, and then we have goals and targets for how you do it. So, you know, there are competencies and behaviors that are real within our organization that when Greg sits down with me at the end of the year to talk about my formal performance. Um, I'm assessed not just by hitting numbers or making my budget and things like that. That's important, but he's also having a good conversation with me about the ways that I was able to do that. And if I'm, again, out of sync culturally to the expectations or norms of the company, I'm held accountable to that. It's Greg, and it goes through the organization as an example.
0: Does it seem though that, um, and I agree hundred percent with everything you've said, I'm just kind of trying to play devil's advocate for a minute, but does it seem that at least when in terms of, uh, in terms of, uh, are you hitting your numbers, that's quantifiable and it's somewhat more tangible as opposed to, um, are you embodying the culture of the company? Um, that just seems less tangible to me.
1: It is. And, uh, one of the things that we have, we have, uh, A couple of key competencies and core values and so we root ourselves in that and we have examples and you know really kind of ways in which you should demonstrate these behaviors and they align to the culture and and really into um again i keep using the way the word norms but the expectations of of living and kind of operating in our organization's environment so that helps us because the word culture can be somewhat esoteric it can be um really just something in some places it's a bumper sticker and you know it's, and it's actually on a bumper sticker you know? it's on a bumper sticker or a mouse Uh-oh. pad or a water bottle um, but the way that you actually have a strong culture whatever that culture is by the way mm-hmm. the, the culture of an organization is very specific and individual to that organization um the the way that you describe and the way that you set expectations that's how you make that less esoteric but you're right it it does get a little gray it does get a little gray but we've worked tirelessly year over year to kind of get better at talking about that because you know as an example we have outstanding general managers across all of our airports i am more than proud of the team that we have out across north america um, that gets some outstanding results for us and for the organization and for their airports what we have said though is you're not going to tip the scales and turn your entire team and deliver great sales. So you need to do both. So you need to be a great leader. You need to be respectful. Um, Folks need to be able to trust you. Commitment needs to be there. And If you're doing one side of the equation and not the other, you're not performing at your best. And so that's a, it's a, you know, a simple example, but it's one that really captures the attention, especially from a leadership perspective where, it, it's it's something that individuals can follow, and again, it's not so esoteric.
0: You mentioned trust. It's it's very key then that there is as much trust from the top down, from let's say um, upper management down to the employees, as there is trust in the employees back up towards uh, with, with I hate to say corporate, but corporate.
1: It, it is, and it's um, this is the work that has to happen. This is this is why you know you can never stop. Focusing on that, so it's it's a little bit of the um, inverted pyramid, yeah. where that's that's pers- that's a personal belief of mine, in that you know the maybe most junior folks on the team or within the organization or at the airport are those that matter most, and really there should be some way, and we're not perfect at this, and this is an objective for us, but there's some way that we are continuing to invest in building trust and building the relationships. Obviously, over time, that builds commitment. It, it also builds confidence as well. Um, but that level of trust is key. It's key.
0: Yeah, I, I'm glad. Yeah, a trust is definitely key. And it, trust is, uh, as much as respect, is really important. And, and that kind of leads me to my next set of questions. It's really all about the employee. The good news is that unemployment is relatively low. But the bad (laughs) news is that it's also a struggle, I'm sure. I hear it from you, or I'm sure I'm going to hear from you, but I hear it from uh, your competitors as well that it's a struggle to find uh, quality employees or any many employees, especially for an environment that's so challenging and unique as ours. You know, I mentioned the challenge, but what are some of the trends or perhaps solutions in attracting quality folks?
1: I would tell you it's um, the reality of unemployment. You're exactly right. it is great you know for kind of the macro environment but um we are filling kind of that challenge and i know you know well across north america um there there are some pockets where it's not as bad but there are many where you know the time to fill for jobs that you know would usually kind of have a revolving door of a candidate pool is just non-existent you cannot you know, get a pipeline or keep a pipeline of candidates. And it's, and it's worrying. It's worrisome, I should say. Um, a couple of things I believe work and I've encouraged the team here to do it. So I would definitely pass along. You can never stop recruiting.
0: Yeah.
1: You stop recruiting. So you could say, Hey, you know, I need five servers. And so when I get my five, let me, you know, <laughs> stop recruiting. You can never stop doing that. And so that is, a mentality that a lot of really successful leaders have that they are always scouting and they're always recruiting and so being active is is really key and today there are many methods in which you can reach candidates but you have to always realize that when they're looking at your job board they're also looking at 10 other ones as well and so this does get into the weeds just a little bit but you have to have Um, If you're using technology for recruiting, you have to have the ability within whatever platform you're using to make sure that your jobs are visible and you are the first hit. Like, again, it is so simple, but it's important because you're competing for talent. The same way you compete for traffic, you're competing for talent. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would say what we face, and this is deeper, I think, within the industry then maybe some um, outside of the, the um, airport industry is what's the story that you're telling? So if you think of the thousands of employees that work in airports, they're passing opportunities, they're passing companies, they're passing different establishments, all of these things to get to work, to come into our airports and to deliver on a traveler's experience. So what compels them to do that? Obviously the wages are important, but it's not the only thing. So the competitiveness of what you're offering, regardless of the job, is something that I believe all leaders need to take a good look at. And so we are doing that right now. Um, We're looking at what are some of, you know, retention incentives, what are um, ways in which we can add additional training or more personal development, because there's gotta be something that's there that makes it worth it for me to drive into work or take the train into work to the airport Yes, Mm -hmm. and then go through security.
0: And often after going
1: through security, um, you know, going in, getting to my locker, putting my things down, you know, swiping my card in and then going to my assignment. It's not easy. It is not easy at all. So when I'm out and about, I will ask like, what is it we're doing to make this worth it? And um it's you know it's a combination of a a good number of different things, but the labor crunch I think is going to be here for some time. And you know, everyone can't just raise wages and it's not sustainable. No No. sustainable at all. Um yes, we have um individuals on the team that will leave for more money and if that's their motivation, they will continue to do that and they will hop around jobs in the airport. We see it. Um, but we can't raise our wage rate every 90 days. We just can't. So we have to figure out the rest of the equation.
0: So my next three questions are, are also going to be related. And I guess in some ways, I, I want to talk about training and ret- retraining and also about developing a career path. And it seems for me, it's about th- that some of these two is really just about keeping employees engaged. I guess the first part is, you know, what is the focus now in uh, make sure that you not just train properly because you're onboarding new people, but continuously retraining them? Because, again, a company like Parodies, you know, you're uh, historically retail in the last few years or so. You've added food. So that's another competency or skill that your your uh, corporate acclimating to then having to pass that on, et cetera. So um, what are some of the steps and maybe some of the challenges in pivoting and making sure that your employees are always at the forefront of, uh, of training and skill. Fortunately and unfortunately um, in the habit of not just saying, "Okay, we operate only McDonald's or only Dunkin's? You know, yes. you could have, you're interpreting concepts. You're, you might have McDonald's in one place, but you might have a Chipotle in another. So talk about training and retraining and, ha- and, and its importance.
1: I, I tell you, it's one of the most important things. Um, and your kind of summary really of Kind of what is happening and the complexity that we're facing, spot on. Um, I would tell you that constant training, much like the discussion on recruiting, is key. So you can never. And we have some uh, associates that work with us that are very tenured. And if we only relied on the training they received during their first year, um, you know, like right, so they would, they would they would not be able to to survive. We would not have great customer experience. Um, We would not deliver to our partners all of that so what we've done we have um, various levels of training plans and we focus on this and we know that there are different cycles for training so there's the onboarding piece and then there are kind of routine and regular courses that folks always need to know about harassment or you know not to harass and things like that Um, but then there are service training pieces that you know don't necessarily have to be overly formal but we're teaching and coaching our leaders, meaning our, our folks in the airports, to really figure out how do we do some of this on-the-job training and reinforcement over time. So everything is not, you know, sitting behind a computer. Although we do a lot of um, work on our learning management system because it's faster, um, but there's a lot of reinforcement on the floor. So coaching is key. But we, I would, I don't even know the amount of hours I'll tell you, but. We take time to just reevaluate, is the training delivering what we need it to deliver? And we can see that through our results, of course. We hear a lot from our customers. We hear a lot from our travelers and from the airport. So we know when things are out of sync and we work to correct that. And your point about you know the diversity of our business, we have to have a level of um proficiency in many things right now mm-hmm. and so we are going really into a space and it's outstanding and it's a challenge at the same time of not having so many generalists and this yeah. goes again across the 10,000 uh, associates that work with us and going deeper into some specialties and that's that's unique in some cases for us as I look airport by airport and what does that training look like so that is work we are doing to, to really make sure we are doubling down on what those specialties are.
0: You know, it's funny. It, it reminds me of a quote that I've seen, and I'm sure you've probably seen this too. It's about the question about providing training. And there's there's two people. One says, well, we should train them. And the, and the question is like, well, response is, well, what if we train them and they leave? And the response to that is, well, what if we don't train them and they stay? <laughs> <laughs> that we don't advance as, a, as an or as a company, let's say.
1: One of my favorites, actually. I, I absolutely love
0: that one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so related to that, again, it's all about uh, engaging, but how important is it then to develop, and I don't know what, at what level of the company you want to apply this to, but how important is it to develop uh, a well-defined career path, especially, and maybe, I don't know if you want to address this in, in the same breath, or maybe let's tack, you want to tackle this separately, but you know, developing a, a clear career path, especially for women and minorities.
1: Oh, yes. So I I definitely have thoughts on the latter part of that as I represent, you know, two of those categories. But um, I would tell you uh, career pathing is something that I focused a lot with the team on. And this is not simply an HR exercise or discussion. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm going to take it to the top of the organization. We have um, a five year strategic plan. And one of the important pieces of this plan really sits in this bucket of. Career planning, career pathing, and that this traditional kind of ladder that folks have, you know, kind of designed and have have moved through their careers, um, it simply doesn't work as well anymore. And what are the ways that you can move laterally, get certain career experiences, move about an organization, move about an airport um, or an industry to really advance and kind of learn and grow? So we are doing a lot of work actually over the next 12 months. To map this out much better, much, much better. What we do know is that there's, you know, I, I really subscribe to 70-20-10 development model. It's pretty simple. Um, 70% of your growth and learning really is what you can get in your environment. So on the job training, what mm-hmm. you're exposed to, what you see. Um, and then you'll get this coaching, mentoring, kind of very deliberate kind of partnership there. And then there's the go to the classroom, go to the university, go to these different places for schooling. But that's not as important as what's around you. And so when we work on the career pathing, one of the reasons that it will take us some time to get it right is that we need to connect back in some of these experiences that folks should have. It means nothing if I can tell you how to move from being um, a marketing associate up to a director of marketing on paper. We have to have more than that. So it's a it's a very big opportunity for us. Um, and one of the challenges many organizations face today are these generational differences. So I'm, I'm I promise I'm going to I I'm promise I'm going to come back to this um, uh, career pathing discussion. But the generational differences tell us too that. Folks want different things in just about everything in life right now. But from a career perspective, you know, my fresh out of college graduate has a very different perspective on their career and the way that they want to experience this just simply by the way that they were raised. And when I look at my 40-year-old who has, you know, kind of achieved a lot and has, you know, been able to um, ascend in their career and it's, you know, wanting different things, it's not a peanut butter spread and it's not a one-size-fits-all so we're trying to figure out what is the flexibility and what are those experiences to really help support less career pathing but career growth. Um, to, to really get to the tail end of your, your point there the question around minorities and women um, for most of my career um, because it's personally important to me but I would and obviously I'm a, I'm a beneficiary of as a African-American woman, but it's really important to keep this conversation um, alive to know that at times there are differences for um, minorities or folks um, that aren't often as represented in certain positions. And so one of the best things that I think organizations can do is to identify the talent correctly. So that's the thing. And then also, mentoring and relationship experiences are key. And so I've known situations and scenarios where you know the investment in the talent was to send them off to uh, Duke for a class and they went and they you know would take the class and they would feel extremely important and excited on taking that class. But then when they got back into the organization they kind of had a reality check of I don't know that there's anyone here that's sponsoring me or has Mm -hmm. acting as an advocate for my career. And that's why you see more highly talented women and minorities leave organizations, because I will tell you, it's, it's certainly been the case for me. I stay where I trust and I stay where I have relationships where I know that there will be some mentoring and I can learn and grow. But, but there has to be a level of sponsorship. And this is, you know, in an industry that is changing and continuing to evolve. Um, I know that a lot of folks are aware of what's being called the silver tsunami, um, but the amount of retirement that's happening mm-hmm. in our industry right now, yeah. um, in the airport, off the airport, you know, concessionaires, everything that touches it and um, organizations in airport leadership. I mean, that's a hot topic right now of just what are we doing to build a pipeline and how yeah. do we accelerate growth of folks and how do we increase the representation of women and minorities kind of within the pipeline. So um, it's it's critical work. I know I gave you a really long response, no, no. but it, um, I have a little bit of passion on this one.
0: No, it's great because um not that you can see because when it, this is not a visual medium, <laughs> but on my notes, i wrote um, I already had written to ask you about uh, re- talent retention, and I had written about engagement mentoring and 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 having an advocate and, and such and I, that's what I want to ask you is just that you know at least in my experience i'm sh- and I'm sure is yours as well, and anyone else you know when it's it's really about when you identify someone you want to keep them and you don't and you want to keep them engaged that's why I keep saying it's this is really all about engagement whether it's retraining training and mentoring whatever those are all the i guess the um the instruments to to retain them but it's really about engagement in some form and um you know once you id that person i guess the best thing is you don't want them to leave unless they're leaving for something better not because well i've hit my ceiling here correct
1: yeah absolutely absolutely and you're you're making that investment Well, you know what, I'll I'll back up a little bit too and, you know, just add to this point to say high potential talent is not all talent. So Mm -hmm. you can't invest and nurture all talent in the same way. You, You just, you can't. And so being able to identify the talent is key and being able to, you know, develop the rapport and relationship and bringing that person along. And again, this word trust, like building that over time is how this gets done. Um, if I don't feel that there's a, a connection where again someone truly is thinking about these things with me, so I have to do it as well, right? If they're not doing it with me, then yes, I am going to leave. So the investment, just as you said it and very well by the way, it, it is it is there. You, you have to do that to keep folks um, on board or you know you could be a good citizen and have that talent go somewhere else and grow another airport organization's pipeline, that, that happens
0: too. Is it fair to, at least from my perspective, I, whenever I've ever had to hire and interview folks, I, I weight, um, passion and work mm-hmm. ethic and all that stuff as much as skill. Cause I could teach you, I can teach you the skill. I can teach you about airports, but I can't teach you how to work. I can't teach you how to be passionate about something.
1: Oh gosh, yes, you um I would tell you one of the things that we said here and you know it's it sounds a little bit like a bumper sticker but it's true you hire for passion and you train for mm-hmm. skill. Yeah. So that's it, right? So you're exactly right. And in a lot of cases when you're looking at, you know, waiting and making final decisions, you know, you want that passion and that level of engagement because you will have to train and teach something. Even the best person that comes you know, highly regarded with tons of experience has to get trained on something. Um, but that passion, you can't erase, you know, who individuals are like at their core. I mean, mm-hmm. you just can't. And that's what you're bringing on board. So you're, you're spot on with that for sure.
0: So I know this is going to be a popular word, uh, millennials. It's, <laughs> you know, I have them. I'm sure you folks out in there and, and uh, they do exist. So what is the millennial mindset and how's that impacting, you know, the hiring training retention, you know, approach there at parodies, or maybe in, in, in the uh, workforce in general, does it contribute to more turnover? Cause I guess the broad uh, viewpoint of them is they, they're, they do move around a lot. They do look, uh, you know, they're not as sedentary even from when I uh, had started. I,
1: you know, it's, it's interesting. I've, I've thought a lot about this. I have, um, couple of millennials that are part of my team here and so i enjoy actually engaging with them and observing because their work ethic is strong so a lot of you know what we read and what we understand of this generation it's not always true i have to say that <laughs> I, you I know what the, back of the millennials i'll i'll say that
0: but you know what though nikki hold on you know what i i had a i had a feeling you were gonna say i have a couple millennials but they're not millennials <laughs> but go ahead
1: and so they, you know, they they see the world different. And I often think about, again, like these experiences of the world that they've seen, right? So mm-hmm. the the commitment of this employer-employee relationship that, you know, they may have seen their parents or grandparents experience didn't work out so well in many cases. And so, you know, their level of commitment where they feel they're valued is very high. But one of the things that's very important, especially in our industry to know, is that they won't take a long time to make a decision. So other folks in, in other generations might, you know, kind of stew a bit and, you know, kind of want to process and, and talk about things or decisions and, you know, before they may make a decision to exit a role or a job. Millennials more often, um, one, are taking advice from their circles, which can or cannot be at work sometimes, you never know. Um, But it's pretty instant. And so some will go to their parents, of course, or to, you know, what someone has said is older individuals in the workplace. Not often, not often at all. But they're independently kind of making these decisions. And so they move very quickly. So for our, again, kind of back to our industry, it's getting to a place of, capturing what's important to them to minimize that turnover i have not seen with our organization just yet not going to be naive that it can't happen um high levels of turnover by this generation i i haven't what we are doing and i think a lot of airport employers are doing is trying to figure out those experiences that are key and again this goes back to the generational differences in the workplace you're not going to build an entire Employee engagement or attraction program around one generation because there's one before them and one after and another after Um, But what you are going to do is use the intel and the insight that you do have To just maybe make things much more um, Aligned to what they're expecting. So we are looking at ways we talked about training a lot. We're looking at ways to engage associates millennials or not in um, training in a way that mirrors kind of what they do outside of work. So we're getting into gaming and looking at, you know, kind of uh, bite-sized and chunks of learning. So you can think of like a, you know, TED Talks type things or just things that they can kind of grab onto, take and go, um, because we know that that kind of meets them where they are. So that's really, really important. And the millennial generation is really one of those that I would say Um, keeps an organization of course on its toes yes (laughs) you know so there are there's again really kind of in an airport there's never a dull day but you know with many millennials on your team there's never a dull day Um, but you know you you kind of kind of have to stay in tune with what's going on because they have everything kind of at their fingertips so if you teach a policy or you teach a uh, a new way of you know demonstrating customer service you should be ready for the challenge and not offended by it um, you should be ready for that and when those opinions are not considered or respected or valued they will leave they will not show up the next day and um, that's quite different than the employer employee relationship that many of us you know have built our careers on
0: um, so a couple more questions for you nikki There's so many hot button issues out there these days, and just just too many. And I'd love for you to just talk about the need and importance of preventative or or really educative training on a variety of topics out there, such as you know sexual harassment, diversity, et cetera. You know, these are two. These two are really truly at the top um, with all that's going on these days. So just if you can just talk about, let's take it from an educative standpoint, because I don't want to say preventative because that doesn't solve anything. Let's talk from an educative standpoint.
1: Absolutely. So. Going back to earlier parts of our um, conversation here, we talked about kind of this role of HR. And so there is a heavy, heavy kind of red thread through the world of HR um, that really sits in protecting the employee and the organization. So when you think about that, the core is making sure that education is there about respectful workplace behaviors, and you know, very deliberate, deliberately and very specifically, you know, sexual harassment and what how to engage or report incidents if they happen. And putting really a level of accountability in the arms of the organization on expressing through this training what we would do should we receive an allegation or a concern of any of this inappropriate behavior. But a lot of education has to happen. And it's not a one-time education. It's, it's just simply not. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there are compliance pieces across many states that require certain hours of training. I know um, California specifically, you know, has very, very stringent rules on how often employers must train and retrain on just something like sexual harassment or discrimination and things like that. Um, but this one is one that, You know, can't be flavor of the month. It can't be check a box and, you know, sign this page and go have whatever um, behavior you want to have. There has to be a level of training that's real and some level of follow-up for the company. And I think when you look at things like the Me Too uh, movement or many of the hashtag movements that are out there, and it's kind of what I call them, um, but many of those, it, it does... Bring a level of, um, I'd say, being sober, to an organization, to the airports, to you know, organizations outside of the airports, to understand that there are realities that we could have blind spots to. Mm-hmm. So this constant education and this constant discussion on, again, workplace behaviors and what's expected and what you cannot do, is key. And it's not, you know, it's not the most exciting thing to talk about. Um, I can remember years and years ago you know leading a class on sexual harassment um, for a group of engineers and so yes i was you know young woman you know having to talk to them about inappropriate touching on certain parts of the body and needless to say they're all you know not feeling very comfortable having this conversation but you have to have it you absolutely have to there's a again there's a level of responsibility behind it and that would go for Workplace safety—that would go for, um, you know, discrimination or things against protected classes. You can't shy away from that, even if it's unpopular.
0: And, and the diversity piece—you you, know—it's not just about you know checking a box or meeting a quota. I mean, I, I believe in, in diversity. Obviously, I'm you know I am a minority. I, I'm an immigrant to this country, but and a citizen now. But you know, I do believe that um, not just diversity in skill set, but diversity in experiences. Um, that really would, would do well to, to, to serve the, um, an organization well. Because again, my experiences will be different from your experiences, vice versa. And there's a value in that. You know, and, and I think it's not that diversity, just for the sake of meeting quotas, should kind of trump, well, that's a really bad word right now, but that should really, <laughs> overt- should really overtake um, someone who's skilled and qualified. But I think, again, that's one of those things where you hire as much for passion as a skill
1: absolutely and you know we are we are only better by our diversity of experiences just as you described it um many of those experiences come from who we are our families you know cultural identities and lifestyle identities and things like that of course um but that's when you look at successful organizations you see that and um it has to actually be real though you know it it can't be um the poster and you know <laughs> in just, the
0: lunchroom yeah.
1: yes exactly right where you don't um, one of one of my mentors once said you know if I really want to understand who you are we are going to have conversations about who you are and what your experiences are and I may not have any way to actually connect to that or understand it because I've never walked in your shoes but I need to understand that. And I need to have a level of respect for that experience. Mm-hmm. And when we had this conversation, I would tell you, it's one of the most meaningful conversations I remember having with him. Um, but that was an example of like thought, like diversity thought leadership. He wanted to know, he could not be an African-American female, you mm-hmm. know? He was a um, gentleman, six to Caucasian, you know, he, he, he we could not have the same lives just as I could not have his. Um, but just this understanding, respect and curiosity, even if he disagreed with experiences that I've had, um, in my life, or maybe if he had an opinion about them, the level of awareness and just wanting to know was huge. And it's, it's again, been one of those things that stuck with me for many, many years. And I try to kind of walk the walk behind that and teach Mm -hmm. my son, you know, away from work and try to teach my son that as well, um, because it's key
0: it's cute well i'm going to be a little selfish here uh well a couple things one i was going to relate back to uh, you know i'm a fan of the show Mad Men. i've I've watched it like at least four or five times been watched it that's that's my problem um (laughs) but i I remember there was an early episode where they were pretty much are you familiar with the show by the way i'm just i should before i'm
1: gonna totally say i've never watched the show but i know the fashion (laughs)
0: <laughs> okay. So there you go. It's perfect. So it's basically set in the 60s. It's a, it's a, it's a fictional ad agency, basically, and it's run by white males. So mm-hmm. there is one episode where it was really, uh, a bunch of white older males who were talking about um, pitching a lipstick campaign and not one woman <laughs> woman was in mm-hmm. the, the room saying, okay, well, we should do the ad this way, and that's that's what made me think. But in, in terms of diversity, in the other way, in, in the other sense, in terms of women empowerment, you know, I'm I'm, I'm a self-professed mama's boy. I'm not going to shy away from that. <laughs> I'm I'm also the father of a 13-year-old uh, young woman. Thank you for your condolences. Um, <laughs> you know, I told my daughter, listen, it's going to be tough for you out there. Unfortunately, work harder than the men. Mm-hmm. And I've asked one set of friends, was this was this the right approach to kind of instill that in her brain from the get-go or is it better for me to have not said anything and let her kind of um, rise above it? Cause the, the tide is changing and it's, it was evenly split down the middle. So I don't know what, which is right or if I have I, if I've harmed my daughter. <laughs> so I'm asking you, I guess.
1: Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, I've had a similar conversation too, just around, uh, race and identity and things like that with my son. So I can, and my son's 13, by the way. So um, we we've had this. I think because things are changing and continue to change, which is wonderful and amazing. Um, everyone is not as progressive as other folks, right? So you know, she should know and anticipate that she may run into difficulty with some folks that are narrow in their thought and may not believe that she can accomplish all of the great things that she can accomplish. So my personal opinion is no, um, you are not off base or out of sync to have that conversation with her. And, you know, I, I think when she has different experiences in life, it will be interesting for her to tell you the story. That's, that's the piece, you know? So I don't know that I agree that every time she takes two steps, you know, to do something, you have to remind her that it's gonna be really tough. Like, I don't think it's that, right? That will scare her and will not be really great. But, you know, engaging with her and just really asking, you know, when you went out for the whatever team or the club or whatever, um, you know, talk to me about it and see if she does bring some of that up and mm-hmm. how she manages it and deals with it. Um, I, I, I'm pretty sure, knowing you, I'm pretty sure, that um you know she'll handle it the right way but she'll be able to recognize when she runs into those challenges for sure
0: oh lord i hope so (laughs) (laughs) i hope so
1: it will Um, happen it will happen so
0: no definitely it's funny because like uh several months ago i think it was for women's aviation month i i interviewed four or five women within the aviation industry at various levels from executives down to business owners etc and one of the folks that i had um interviewed was uh, Christina Casotas of Pittsburgh, she's mm-hmm. a Pittsburgh International, and she had a, gr- I asked her the same thing about what's, you know, do you um, feel like you have to almost educate folks about, you know, being a woman in the workplace and whatever, and, and her response was great. She basically, she's like, I don't have time to educate a man <laughs> on how to be a 20th century, 21st century human being. I'm just going to go around him or through him and just, you know, I, I'm not, in that mode. And I just thought that was really powerful, but
1: um, that yeah. is great. Yes. Yeah. Um,
0: my last question for you is um, I know we touched on only a really a few trends and issues here, but I'd love for you to kind of look, um, share what you see as an emerging HR issue, or maybe there is an existing one that will just continue to, uh, I don't want to say play to, to, to be a trend or, a, you know, within, within our space.
1: So probably two things come to mind. i uh, was thinking a lot about um this is our we had our conversation today um this generational difference like the the conversation about the multiple generations kind of in the workplace um mm-hmm. folks are working longer and jobs are different right so yeah. you know employers have to understand that it can be more attractive for some individuals to drive or lift or to you know have kind of what i'm calling and what's been termed in the industry kind of this gopher type um, employment right so it's it's a little less traditional but it's gaining steam that applies to certain generations i don't know that all generations will do that so understanding again the flexibility across the generations is going to be key and another piece that i think is not totally hr but it definitely shows up in the hr space is consumerism Uh and really you know, for everything. If I think of, you know, just the airport environment, I think of the employee experience. Um, you know, consumerism is something that a lot of groups are just kind of getting into understanding and they're behind the ball a bit. I'm not gonna say that, you know, we are um, as great as we need to be in this space, but it's, it's there. And um, I wouldn't say it's an emerging trend, it's kind of hitting us right in the face. And, um, that's a lens that I don't think we're using very well across HR and just understanding how important in the impact of consumerism at all.
0: Well, that's all I have. And Nikki, I want to, again, thank you for taking time to speak with me.
1: Absolutely. This has been great. I enjoyed it. Thanks for the invite.